0: I am black, yet I am a man who struggles to breathe. I am from the South, yet I'm a man who struggles to breathe. I'm a brother, an uncle, a cousin, a neighbor, and a friend, yet I am a man who struggles to breathe. I am American, a black American man who in 2020 struggles to breathe. These are my words, these are my thoughts, and thank you for tuning in. I'm Reggie Valentino, your host, and welcome to Spread Joy, the podcast. Today's episode is dedicated to George Floyd, all black men and black women, and all people of color who have lost their lives due to police brutality. This type of story is not new. But no longer can I stay silent to the breath and voices that are being extinguished from our brown and black brothers and sisters. As a 53-year-old black male, I know firsthand that police brutality and systemic racism are alive and well in America. The only difference today is due to technology and having the abuse captured in real time by a cell phone. George Floyd's story is our story. Because where there is no justice, there is no peace. Because Black lives matter. Today's climate in the U.S. reminds me of a poem by Langston Hughes called Beaumont to Detroit, which was written in 1943. Its tone and rhetoric is so reminiscent to today's climate. And the hatred and racism still resonates the same. Beaumont to Detroit by Langston Hughes. Looky here, America. What you done done. Let things drift until the riots come. Now your policemen let your mobs run free. I reckon you don't care nothing about me. You tell me that Hitler is a mighty bad man. I guess he took his lessons from the Ku Klux Klan. You tell me Mussolini's got an evil heart. Well, it must've been in Beaumont that he had his start. Cause everything that Hitler and Mussolini do, Negroes get the same treatment from you. You Jim Crowed me before Hitler rose to power and you're still Jim Crowing me right now, this very hour yet you say we're fighting for democracy, then why don't democracy include me? I ask you this question, because I want to know how long I got to fight both Hitler and Jim Crow. Now, during the last couple of weeks, this poem and the actions uh, that have uh, sprung up around the United States due to the death of George Floyd and the protest that it sparked. You know, it's a shame that George Floyd had to become the face and father of a movement that's been going on for 400 years. We have yet to be recognized that we are integral to the fabric of this society. Not just the American society, but the world society. When you think about what Langston Hughes was speaking of with the poem Beaumont to Detroit. Beaumont, Texas was a thriving Black community, and it had 4,000 whites descend upon it, destroy the stores, and ramsack the homes, and just destroy the community. And you're looking at it today, the reverse of that, and people being like, why are they, you know, if Black Lives Matter, why are you tearing up your own neighborhoods? Why are you burning down these stores? Or why are you looting? Well. It's something that was shown to our culture time and time again. When we were shown that we were worth nothing, you know, I think people forget that we were brought here as property. We were part of the economy. We were the reason that the stock market was up, you know, due to the labor that was forced upon us to make our slaveholders wealthy. And when I think about my childhood and what my parents tried to instill in me, you know, this sense of pride and honor. You know, my parents were very involved in the civil rights movement. What they suffered during that time period and what my grandparents and my great grandparents suffered, you know, is unspeakable and it's unimaginable. Yet my family, raised my siblings and myself knowing that we always had to be better. We had to do better. We had to be the best at anything that we put our minds to. And when it came to our education, that was the most important thing because that was our ticket out, out of poverty, you know, out of being looked at as less than. And even with that, my parents always made me understand that we always had to be on guard. As a kid going into the store, you couldn't go in with your hands in your pocket because you didn't want anybody to think that you had stolen anything. And when you walked out, make sure you had your receipt in your bag just in case you were stopped. You know, children were seen and not heard back then. And you couldn't mouth out to an elder of any color. But you had to make sure that if a policeman stopped you, if you were driving, you had your hands on the dash, or on the steering wheel. You asked the officer politely if you could grab your license. There's certain protocols uh, because we always knew that I could disappear. I could become a statistic. And even though my family was very much adamant about making sure I understood that, I always told them, oh, that's from when you, you know, were growing up. Those things don't happen today. You know, we grew up going to private schools. We weren't wealthy. It's just our parents wanted an education for us, a better education than what they had. And we grew up Catholic. And so we were intertwined within not just a religion, but with different groups of people also going to the schools that I attended. And, you know, I was a minority. And when I was going to school, there was a huge Hispanic population in the Catholic schools and white. But I was always a minority. And generally until my brother and sister, you know, came to school or, you know, I had some other friends that came to school, you know, same school that, you know, I forged relationships with all sorts of people growing up. But I also had to know, quote unquote, my place. Couldn't step on anybody's toes, especially if they were white. I had to dumb myself down. I had to play this game. And it was a game I didn't necessarily understand, but it was something that my parents were so adamant about me actually realizing that it was necessary. And I didn't realize until I went away to college. I was attacked twice in North Carolina. just simply because of the color of my skin. The first time it happened, it was outside of school, I was out shooting pool with some friends and next to us there was a couple of guys and there was another black gentleman with them. And he was shooting pool and we were shooting pool, hanging out. And you could buy beer there. And my buddies were gonna go get some beer and I was walking to the car with the girls. And as we're getting in the car, the guys that were playing pool, two of them came out next to me, you know, next to us. And I moved out of the way thinking they're gonna walk by. And they kicked me in the balls and threw me up against the car, and they said, "Boy, we gonna kill you." And I was just shook. I didn't know what to. I didn't know if I should run or if I should, you know, just I don't know, scream. Or I was thinking a thousand thoughts per minute. And I was like, if I run, they're gonna shoot me in the back. Or okay, what are they gonna do to the girls? Okay, what? Are, okay. I could end up dead and nobody, you know, they could drag me off somewhere. I was just in a frenzy. In the meantime, all of those thoughts are going through my head and they're kicking the girls in the face and kicking them and throwing them into like up against the car. And they're trying to get in the car and get out of the way. And they're calling them nigger loving bitches. And I'm freaking out and I'm trying to protect the girls. And I'm trying to get in the car and get away from them. And I get in the car and I get the doors shut. And it was just a commotion that was all over the place. And I just grabbed the steering wheel and I knew I didn't have the keys and I started honking on the horn and my friends came out and the bartender ran out with the shotgun. And he was like, do you want us to call the police? Cause he's like, back the fuck off, leave him alone. They knew us. They knew we came there all the time. And they said, like, "Gregie, Do you want us to call the police? And I was like, no, I just need to get back. I need to get back to campus. I didn't want them to call the police because I don't know who they knew. I didn't know if it was their cousin or uncle or whoever. And everything that my parents had always warned me about became true that day. All of it. And I understood why they talked to me and my siblings about how we needed to interact in the world. I stayed on campus after that for probably two, three months without leaving I was freaked out. I didn't, I didn't know who was my friend because, you know, here I am naive to the ways of the world. When I was growing up, you know, the United States was called the melting pot. And I was always fascinated by that. And I was like, oh, wow. I wanted to know, you know, what was in this fantastic brew. I wanted to know if we were all melting together. Where did we all come from? Yeah, you know, people say they're African. Well, I'm African-American. Well, have you ever been to Africa? I'm Irish-American. Have you ever been to Ireland? I'm Italian-American. Have you ever been to Italy? I wanted to know where these people came from. And so my wanderlust began, simply because of those words, melting pot. America was known as the melting pot. Well, the next time... I was accosted. I was seeing friends of mine's band in uh, Chapel Hill. And we're sitting there, and some other bands were on, and I'm sitting there, and we're talking at the table, and this guy walks past me and bumps me. And I go, oh, you know, pull my chair up. Oh, excuse me. He walks past me again. He bumps me again. I'm like, oh, excuse me. I pull my chair up, thinking I'm in the way. He comes back and he bumps me a third time and he goes, boy, don't you think you're in the wrong place? I looked at him. He looked at me. He looked up and he looked to his right and there was a guy looking directly at me to the right. He looked in front of me. There was a guy looking at him and looking at me in front of of me and then he looks to the left and there was another guy. And they're all staring at me. My friends are sitting at the table talking. And at that moment, I knew that if I didn't get out of there, I wouldn't live to see tomorrow. The guy walks past me and I get my friend's attention and I go, hey, you got, I said, like, we got to get out of here. And they're like, what, what, what? I was like, we got to get out of here now. You got to get me out right now. And they were just like, no, what are you talking about? Let's, yeah, Well, we'll get the manager. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, you all don't understand. I was like, these guys are set up and they're going to kill me. That fear and that what you know to be true, that you could, I could smell the death. I knew that they were out to get me and not in a. They're going to get me. No, they were going to kill me simply because of the color of my skin. They escorted me out, and we get in the car, and I was like, we can't drive straight back to uh, the apartment. I said, we have to drive around. I said, because they will follow us and follow where we are to see where we are to, you know, to grab me. And they all thought I was crazy, and yeah, you know, but they realized that, you know, from my being so, Upset that it was very serious. And, you know, it's something that, once again, I had to ultimately internalize because they didn't understand where I was coming from. You know, and it happened a third time. I was in noon in Georgia, getting ready to move to California. And I'm walking to my friend's apartment. It's a beautiful sunny day. And here I am thinking, oh, how lovely, you know, it's beautiful out. I'm moving to California. You know, we get ready to drive cross country tomorrow morning. I look over, there's a lake to my left, and I look over and I'm like, oh, wow. God, this girl over there having lunch by the lake. Uh, it's like, how romantic is that? This is me being naive. As I walk up a little closer, the guy gets out of the car and he pulls a gun up with a scope on it and he points it at me. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this guy's going to kill me. And I was like, if I run, he's going to shoot me in the back and he's probably just going to wound me. and He's going to drag me off somewhere. And this is middle of the day. Nobody's driving down this street. My friend's apartment's. I could see through the woods. And I was like, if I run through the woods, he's going to shoot me in the back. Well, just at that moment, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do and I'm You know, looking at the situation, everything's going a thousand miles per minute in my head. And a car starts coming down the street. I see the guy put down the gun and I strike out running. And I run to my friend's apartment and it's on the first floor and I get in and it's one of those apartments where the balcony is up front and I'm sitting in a sofa and I'm looking out the balcony and I see his car slowly driving around looking for me. And I jumped down to the floor and I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I crawl into my friend's bedroom and I hid in there until he got home from work. And because we were leaving the next morning and headed out to California and he he gets home and he's like, Reggie, he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, he's like, you should have called the police. And I was like, I can't call the police because I don't know who these people know. And I was like, we just got to get out of here. And he, being from California, didn't really understand where I was coming from. But at the same time, he knew that there was such a sense of urgency. We started packing the car that night so we could leave before daybreak that morning, next morning. And I was looking at that as I was leaving not only the South, but I thought that that racism, as it applied to me behind you know, that was the beginning of that wanderlust, which I speak of and took me to Pasadena, California, took me to New York City, took me to Scandinavia. And when I got to Scandinavia, people wanted to know who I was and why was I there? Why had I chosen Finland? Why had I chosen Sweden? Why had I chosen Denmark to finish my education? And I realized as they spoke to me and wanted to know more about me, they didn't want to know about how much money I made. They didn't know, want to know about how much my car cost or what kind of car did I drive. They wanted to know more about me and who I was as a person. So the person, Reginald Valentino Ely, became to them simply Reggie. They saw me for who I was. I was a black American man who they were just enamored by. The fact that I had come to Scandinavia to discover another culture. In that discovery, I discovered myself. And that all people don't look at you as beneath them or less than. You don't have to watch your steps. They really wanted to know who I was. I didn't have to dumb myself down. I didn't have to go to a job that I knew I knew more than the owner, but yet I had to pretend that I didn't know anything. I could go and have as much knowledge and experience as the next person. And my voice and my being was heard. So I became whole the five years I spent in Scandinavia. I grew up, I grew into the black American man, Reggie Valentino, that I'm proud to be to this day. You know, we must ask ourselves, what is wrong in American society if we have not truly dealt with police brutality and racism in the year 2020? Why do we continue to ignore and whitewash the issues? George Floyd had to lose his life while being recorded by a cell phone. As the world watched him take his last breath, he cried out for his dead mother while telling four police officers that he could not breathe, crying out, I can't breathe. Mama, I can't breathe. As the officers slowly suffocated him while one watched, one had a knee on his neck, and two other officers had knees on his back for eight minutes and 46 seconds while he was handcuffed and lying face down in the streets for the American people and the world to understand our plight with systemic racism and police brutality. We as a world must lift one another up. As you can see, The Black Lives Matter marches, not just in the United States, but across the globe. George Floyd's death sparked a movement, a movement that has been there and gone unanswered since the 60s. Really, you know, the 50s. Let's be very clear. The Civil Rights Movement. George Floyd, Ahmad Aubrey, Brianna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Rakiah Boyd, Michael Brown, Belando Castile, Jordan Davis, Eric Gardner, Freddie Gray, Bolton John, Atachiana Jefferson, Trayvon Martin, Renisha McBride, Tony McDowd, Laquan McDonald, Nina Pope, Tamir Rice, Walter Scott, Alton Sterling, we must never forget their names. We must never forget their plight and their fight for justice. For these lives lost, the police must be held accountable. We must be encouraging and resilient because we are stronger together. This podcast goes out to all the families of color in America who have lost a loved one due to excessive force, hate crimes, and police brutality. I'm Reggie Valentino. Please join me every Thursday for storytelling and casual conversations. For more information, please log on to spreadjoy.com or email me at reggievalentino at spreadjoy.com. Or for more ways to get involved, please check out Black Lives Matter, Equal Justice Initiative, Fair Fight, Transgender, Gender Variant and Intersex Justice Project, and the Okra Project to show your support. Thanks for listening. Spread joy and change lives.